Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol. Jesus 911, two man car. Jesse. I'm here. I'm, I'm here too. I'm 10 8, Jesse. I'm, ta- I'm reporting for duty. What's going on, Ruben? Jesse, what? we've got a couple of young men uh, as guests today. So we got a ride along. Okay. Uh, and uh, you got one in your car. I'll get one in the other car. And I'll tell you what, these are on fire, dynamite Catholic young men that the church needs in, in today's society. We uh, we had them on our show uh, was about a month, a month and a half or two months ago and uh, had a lot of good reviews because uh, because of their spirituality, because of their love for, for Holy Mother Church. Uh, the uh, the family bond that they have with their father and, you know, mother and, and it's just amazing. Um, and uh, so I'm going to introduce you, De- uh, Jesse, since you were not able to be on. We have David Espinoza, a 21-year-old a married father of one uh, a young girl right david yeah yes okay and uh his brother i believe saul's 18 years old uh i'm not mistaken he's uh they both work for their father and and david has a second job but uh they're also both uh from the brothers of saint dismas ah i know them quite well they're here today well let's go ahead uh david just give us like a a quick uh um just for those who didn't get a chance to hear the same uh, the first segment, um, just tell us just you know a little bit about yourself, and um, and then we'll go to Saul. Yeah. Um, so basically, just to sum it up, um, I I grew up in my faith just because my my father, uh, when I was very young, he was not into his faith yet, but he had a, a major conversion when I was around ages like eight or nine around that around that time in my life and it was just in time because uh he was able to to teach me um not only my faith but also the penance and prayer that came with my faith which he attained from the brotherhood of saint dismas and so he he led us through that and and now i i accept it as my own faith and i accept the rule of life also from the brotherhood as as my own rule of life by, so, by the way, uh, by the way, guys, I'm an, uh, I'm I'm also a member of the Brotherhood of Saint Dismas. In case you're wondering, I know all the guys that started it, and it's an incredible group. It's a it's a penitential men's group. They take their uh, they take their spirituality more like from from monastic monastic penitential spiritual practices, and uh, and I'm I'm glad to see that they're recruiting a lot of young guys like you guys. Go ahead, next guy, talk to us, Saul. <clears throat> yes, yeah, so. Uh, I, you know, obviously I'm David's brother, so I grew up very similar. Um, but I think one thing that really uh, helped cemented me in my faith also was that we were in Catholic homeschool um, from after grade five and up. So in that time, all the questions that I had, I was able to, uh, to understand. I was able to get answers from them and understand them even better by going through the Baltimore Catechism and through Catholic morality and uh and uh you know it's learning about all the sacraments so that's one thing that really cemented me in my, in my faith awesome. um yeah 
Hey, Jesse, these two young guys uh, are, are devoted to, to the traditional Latin masses. And, and that's what I wanted to talk to them in the first segment about. Um, Jesse and I both attend the, the Latin mass and, uh, and, you know, our, our church um, leaders uh, who may be trying to suppress that mass think that it's, it's just the old guys like me, Jesse, that like it, you know, uh, but then uh, we go to mass, we see young people, we see people with children. And uh, so talk to us about what, what, uh, how did you get into the Latin mass and, and what it means to you? Uh, David, we'll start with you. And then Jesse, if you have any questions, feel yeah, free to chime absolutely. In. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I can't remember exactly how old I was when we went to our first Latin mass as a family. I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Saul, but maybe five years ago. And, and um, so we, we went to our first Latin mass and it was different. I, I was already into my faith. Um, I, I appreciated the tradition, but honest, quite honestly, it takes a few times going. Like yes. I think Father Ripper gives a challenge, right? Uh, go every day for, or every Sunday for a month or two months, something like that. And you're never going to go back. <laughs> to the Novus Ordo. For me, the if I could just uh, um, sum it up, the Latin Mass for me is Eucharist centered, more than more than uh, what I experienced in in uh, the the Novus Ordo. Uh, everything at Orientum, everything towards God, um, and and uh, yeah, I, I I guess uh, just to sum it up, uh, for me the Latin Mass. Everything is centered on the Eucharist, um, and that, that's that's pretty much. <clears throat> How about you, Saul? What what's your take on the, on the Latin Mass, and when it, and uh, when do you recall you started going to it? Well, um, before we started going to the Latin Mass, I remember that. Um, well, David and I were starting to get more into our faith, and you know, obviously, one thing that everyone. You know, at church, when they see young faithful guys, that they want you to start becoming an altar server, right? Or an altar boy. But the parish we went to, major the majority of the altar servers were girls. And so oh. we were like, I, I don't really want to be a part of this. You know, I don't want to serve there. So when we started going to Latin Mass, we saw that there were men. You know, the parish we go to, there's so many altar servers there. Like every Sunday, there's like 20 altar servers. Tell us what person. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and so we just saw that it was like very masculine the way that the altar servers moved and the priest moved it was very military i don't I guess how you say like military like yes, yes and so i liked that and yeah and it was actually my younger brother who wanted to start altar serving first and through him he was like come on guys let's do it so then we started uh altar serving there and yeah i love it it's it's a lot more reverent and a lot more um, you actually know why you're there, you know, because in the other one in Nova Sordo, I knew it was about the sacrifice of the mass, but you can't really see it. You know, you, wow. you don't just from what you experienced there. You don't really understand that it's the sacrifice of the mass. You just think it's like some sort of feast or, you know, something like that. But, yeah, that's what I got. Jesse. Yeah. yeah what I get from these two young guys is that they're able to see. I think it's the. Well, we're called the church militant. First of all, lay people are called the church militant. And you can see without a doubt, uh, one of the things that attracts men, for example, you know, guys like to see like organization and structure 
guys like to see like uniform and, and duty and reverence. You know, th- that's why I guess we enjoy watching the troops you know, when they march in a parade or uh, we enjoy watching the military uh, color guard and the 21 gun salute at a funeral. Uh, we also enjoy watching, uh, know that there's a 24 hour vigil over the tomb of the unknown soldier by a fellow soldier who marches in full uniform regardless of rain or storm or snow or thunder so guys like to watch discipline that's what i get from these guys and 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 that's what you get in the latin mass there's discipline and you can see it there's concentration the moves are crisp from the priests from the altar servers they're they're exact they're military like the just the movements even the the mess, the vestments you can see they're 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 like manly and fitted where sometimes you see like in the Latin, in, in, in the Latin mass where the priests, uh, again, before, if you've ever seen a priest dress, uh, before he goes into the Latin mass, he says this, this prayer as he puts on, uh, every single part of his vestments, the, the amice, the alb, the cincture, the maniple, the stole, the chasuble, Ruben, I'm sure you've seen it, but he recites mm-hmm. a special prayer uh, and you guys have seen it, these two young guys, because they're, they're alter, they're acolytes. Mm-hmm. The, as, as a priest puts on every sacred vestment, it's like he's he's a soldier putting on battle gear and he's praying as he's putting everything on. Uh, and, 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 and I think, again, this is just what's attractive to men. Uh, also, th- these guys just said something about ad orientum. That is just so true. Ad orientum, when a guy sees that from the from the pew, from the nave, they say, wow, there's just something about this. And I'll tell you what, what, what is it that men detect. When you look at a Roman, the Roman legion, the army, the way they would attack, they used, uh, they used this formation. It was called the wedge. And the wedge had a point man, on, a strong guy in the front. And then it had like a, a wedge uh, on both the right and the left side. That's the way the Latin mass is. It's structured like the Roman legion army wedge with the strong man, the point man leading everybody. And it's in a wedge formation. A guy, when he goes into the Latin mass, he sees that in his soul and it speaks to him. And once he sees that a couple of times, he says, I'm not going back to any other mass after this. <laughs> you cannot see what you see now. Okay. Yeah, you, you can't uh, uns- yeah. Your eyes can't unsee what, what you've seen that. Because it's burned yeah. in your soul forever, right? And so, uh, you guys, I, I take it you guys have learned have learned your responses, or uh, you know, sometimes you you're able to carry a little a cheater, but uh, but eventually, you know, you'll have you'll have all those Latin responses down by down pat and, and memorized, and you know, um, especially when like you're uh, the suchipia, su- right? You you can't. Uh, there's really no place. For you to uh, hide the book, I, at, at some point, it's uh, you got to memorize some of these responses. So, um, Jess, do you have a, a question for them? Uh, anything about? Uh, yeah, I want to ask. I want to ask uh, when you guys answer it on the next segment. Um, what is what is it about the sacred silence that speaks to the heart of a young man? I want to hear from both you guys. All right. Jesus nine one one. We'll be right back with these two young men. I want to hear what they have to say about sacred silence and the Latin mass, how attractive is that to them? Now, 
back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Muscular Catholicism right here. Uh, Jesus 911. We have two young brothers here that uh, are, are very attracted to the traditional Latin Mass, and uh, they're on fire for Holy Mother Church, and uh, they're going to do great things for, for the church, Jesse. And uh, Anyway, uh, you left them with a question, Jesse. Yeah, my que- uh, do you want to- yep. yeah let, me, let me rephrase the question. Uh, recently, a, a, young, a fairly young actor named uh, Sheila Booth came into the Catholic Church as a result of the Latin Mass, and he said it was just, it was just life-changing what he saw. My question to both of you, um, the Novus Ordo Mass has been around, it's going on 60 years. The Latin Mass has been around for about 1,600 years since the 4th or 5th century at least, uh, since the time of Pope Gregory the Great. Now, the Novus Ordo Mass, there's a lot of uh, noise, movement, activity, uh, loud music, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, guitars and drums. So my, my question to you, to both of you, whoever wants to answer it, what is it about the Latin Mass, with its especially you know, like a low Mass, with its silence? What is it that's attractive about the silence of the Latin Mass, or even the Latin language, which is some—it's a language that's not used anywhere on planet Earth? What is it to you, young people? Why is the Latin attractive? Why is it it calls you? How does it speak to your soul? And how does the silence of the Mass also? speak to your soul and attract you either one of you or i want to hear from both of you um well one thing is that uh well obviously as a man you always have to be examining yourself you always got to be reflecting on the decisions you make and so one thing that is when i'm in the latin mass and there's silence i'm able to actually reflect on myself and also on god because when there's so much noise, like if especially if you go to Spanish mass, like you know, you would just hear like alabare, alabare, you know, and there's like the symbols and the yeah. you know the drums and everything. You can't, and, and the mariachi, you can't focus the mariachi. on anything. No. Yeah, yeah, and you can't focus on anything. You can't focus on God. You can't focus on really reflecting on yourself and making those resolutions. And so that's the thing that that's really attractive. And you know, I brought uh, a friend of mine, actually. Uh, two days ago to the latin mass and one of the things he mentioned was also was the how everything was a lot more reverent and the silence and the the rev the reverence and so he, he said that he was really really able to focus because of that because of all the instead of all the noise you know amen yeah good great answer yeah but you david yeah i mean um it it's the, the same thing as, as as saul was saying i mean the only the 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 only way to listen to God's voice is in the silence. You can't mm-hmm. you can't hear God's voice in in any noise in the world. I mean, uh, I mean, in order to save our souls, we we really need mental prayer in our lives, and the Latin Mass really encourages you to do that with all the silence that's in the Latin Mass. If 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 uh, if similar if in the Latin Mass there was similar music to Novus Ordo. I don't think mental prayer would be even possible. I remember being, I, I remember being, I don't know if I was 12 or 13 years old and you know, you're kind of impulsive at that age or whatever. So I remember being in a Spanish mass and of a sort of with my dad and, and like out loud, I'm like, Hey, Bobby, that sounds like Johnny Cash. He's like, Shh. 
it's I mean it's 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 just the the, the truth of the matter. I mean uh, the 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 Latin Mac the Latin mass makes everything so easy to think of God, to pray, to examine our conscience. It's so easy, and there's you don't really have to force yourself. I mean, obviously, someone who hasn't who doesn't know how to pray, you know, will need some work. But in the Latin Mass, there's their there's their uh, their base. At least every Sunday, coming to the Latin Mass, they can practice mental prayer. They can encounter mental prayer. So that would be my answer. Very good. Jesse, these guys are wise beyond their years. Oh, and, yeah. No, I'm listening oh. to them right here. I'm saying this, the, the things they're saying, I just learned these things like 10, 20 years ago, and I'm an old man. And these, these guys are way ahead of the curve. But it, it be, it, the reason is, is because they've, uh, they've been formed. Obviously, you can see by the Baltimore Catechism, which is, which is uh, from the Council of Trent, which is really that's all you need to know when it comes to the Catholic faith when it comes to the doctrines. And then again, they're uh, attending the Latin mass. The, you could just see the way the, 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 the mass has formed their intellect and their soul. As I'm hearing them talk right now, they're a product of the graces of the Latin mass, the way the Latin mass has formed their intellect and their soul, because the way they're talking is beyond their years. Yeah. So let, let's uh, let's talk to them about uh, homeschooling. Saul touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but uh, you know, seeing as as that uh, we have a problem in our school system, especially public school, um, and more people are are going to homeschooling or private schools, and uh, we even have some some difficulties, some problems in inside you know the uh, parochial schools in the Catholic Church. So, um, Saul, do you want to go first? Uh, about homeschooling, you touched on a little bit, but um, maybe expound a little bit um, um, how, impo- how important it was for you to get that, to, to be where you're at because of homeschooling. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I think the, the one thing is that obviously like at public schools, the teachers are actually the, the people around you. Those are the people that are going to influence you and really form you in your life. Because um, I mean, usually at least for me, like my mom was, even though she was a stay-at-home mom, I'd rarely see her. You know, I, I wouldn't see her so much after coming home from public school because when I was back here, I was tired and I just wanted to play video games or something like that. And so she wasn't really, you know, forming me and teaching me, even though, and she should be the one that knows me the best, right? And since your mother knows you the best, she should be the one actually helping you and teaching you. And that's what homeschool gave us that opportunity um, because, you know, if your parents are not in your in their faith, I mean, the chances that their kids are actually going to end up, you know, attending mass and things like that is very low. And so that's one thing that, well, if she was, if my mother's going to be teaching me, she has to learn these things also. So she's, yeah. she was, she was telling me that she actually learned a lot while she was teaching us because she didn't get this, this formation herself. Yeah. And so that really, um, helped me to to really come into my faith because if I was going to Latin mass but still going to public school for sure it's like for sure I would not be here <laughs> you know I, would, I wouldn't be here today and that's for sure and a lot of people after meeting me they asked me you know probably like the third time they meet me they asked me if, where I went to school and 
they're surprised when they hear that I was homeschooled. And the reason they're surprised is because they get that stereotype where it's like a homeschooler can't talk to anyone is antisocial and, you know, and these things and, and it just, and whereas it's actually the opposite, you know, I, the more homeschool, the more homeschoolers I met, the majority of them are way more social than any of the, the public schoolers I met. I remember we were terrified in public school <laughs> to touch, to talk to any adults. And, you know, that really helped me a lot. Yeah, I think there would be a disconnect from your homeschool. If you were still going to public, I mean, if you were going to public school on the Latin mass, there's that disconnect. And, uh, and so here there's, it's, it's a, it's a perfect blend, a perfect mesh, getting your Catholic faith from, from your, because God should be in every subject, you know, in science and he's in, in history and math and, and there's right. not a, you don't lose that. You don't yeah, lose because, that. Go ahead, Jess. Because all truth comes from God. And so any discipline that doesn't include God is, uh, is deficient. You're going to be teach. you're going to be taught something that has a deficient, uh, you know, uh, deficient underpinnings. But 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 uh, I'm looking at a website here, exploringhomeschooling.com, which says what what you, what this young man just said right now. It says, um, will your children believe in Jesus when they graduate from high school? If you're homeschooled, 94 percent of homeschoolers will believe in Jesus by the time they graduate. If you go to public school, only 15 percent will believe in Jesus by the time they graduate. Hmm. Wow. David, how about you? What's your take on homeschooling? And you, you obviously got it a little bit later, right? Uh, yeah. So um, I, <laughs> to, 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 be, to be blunt about it, the only thing that I missed about public school were not my friends. Mm. It was playing the trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> I did not miss my friends because I knew that they were not leading me in, in, a, in a godly lifestyle. They were only people that I hung around because I didn't want to feel like an outcast. I feel uh, it, in, in homeschooling, it, I, I, tend, I tend to find more people who are confident than in public school. Mm. And it's, it's weird. In public school, you, you're, you're trying not to be an outcast or whatever. There's always that feeling. Whereas yeah. in homeschool, all the people that I talk to are very social. But anyways, uh, I, I knew that homeschooling was good for me uh my you know my 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 parents were explaining to me the only reason i didn't want to leave public school was literally the literally the trumpet uh but anyways i brought my trumpet with me <laughs> <laughs> and um uh and it, it's just it's just it was a complete change you know it, i whenever i went to public school i did not enjoy history i did not enjoy science i didn't enjoy anything it was meaningless to me when i joined homeschooling Everything had meaning because everything was centered around God. I was interested in all these subjects because they all pointed to proving God's existence. Mm -hmm. And for example, uh, for history, you you read Christ the King, Lord of History, and it explains mm -hmm. world history under under a Catholic perspective, and all pointing to God or even God preparing history for His coming. You know, science uh, explaining what how how um, uh, how, how God created the universe that, that there could be life on this planet. If any, if, if, if there were even any small changes, there would be no life. And so, and, and, and we also had religion class and then they would give us church history. We learned a lot. 
if 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 I had stayed in public school, I would not have known as much as I know now. I have the formation of Baltimore Catechism, uh, his the, the a good Catholic history, church history, science in a Christian perspective. We have all these things. We we found we have all these things through. Uh, it's called Elizabeth Ann Seton homeschooling. Yes, uh, that, that's that's the program that we use. I would recommend it. I, I suppose it is kind of rigorous, but honestly, it's worth it. If, if, if a student is having trouble uh, keeping up, that's fine. They let them go at their own pace. That's the, that's the problem with a lot of public schools is if somebody's struggling, they can't stop and just focus on that one person. They have to move along, pass everyone and just go to the next topic. That's the, um, and so, so to, to, to sum it up, I, I have a, very strong bond with my family through homeschooling and and i know my faith very well all right hey we're coming up on our next break guys uh and and parents if you're out there and there was any question whether you should be homeschooling here's a is a byproduct of what you're looking at here (laughs) exactly so anyway uh exhibit a Yep. David and Saul, thank you so much for being uh, on the show with us, being our guest. We'll have to have you on another time. Yep. God bless you. Have a great peace day of uh, all saints. God thank bless you, right. young man. All right. God bless. Stay high to the brotherhood for me. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Happy feast day of all saints. Uh, we are going to uh, switch gears and, and talking about uh, today, uh, the all saints day, some of the history and tr- traditions surrounding it. Ruben, let me just mention something about the, the, something about the two guys that we just had right now. Yes. J- just to show you how well they are socially acclimated. <clears throat> there were 574 uh, riots in two years. Uh, around the country by Antifun Black Lives Matter. I'm guessing that the majority of those kids did not go to homeschool, were not attending the Latin Mass. I'm just guessing that probably 99.999999% of them are public school kids and went to college that received a secular humanist Marxist education and probably were lukewarm Protestants or Catholics at best or nuns. That's, that's just my take. You'd probably be spot on, Jesse. Uh, I think you'd, if you put money on it, you'd win a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, let's move on. Let's go. Uh, so today being All Saints Day, um, it's Holy Day of Obligation. Um, there's an article that uh, from Catholic News Service that talks about this. And uh, it's, it begins with the, the author of the letter to the Hebrews which a lot of theologians think it's St. Paul. I don't know how you feel, Jesse, but... It makes sense. It makes sense that, because that's his style. I'll tell you why, because remember, he was called, uh, you know, he had a re- he was a Pharisee. Yeah. And, so, and so his goal, he really had a love to evangelize the Jewish people. You could see that from his other letters. And, and uh, so it, yeah. it makes sense that it would be him. Yeah, and God sent him to the to the the goyim, right? Yeah, <laughs> you would think yeah. you would think that if you were setting it up, you'd send, "Hey, we got the 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 greatest student of the greatest rabbi," you know, yeah, Gamaliel, no, you're right? And you send yeah. him to the Jews, but no, yeah. they see God sent yeah, him but, to the. But even though he did write to the Gentiles, a lot of the stuff that he wrote there, again, 
it was it was in reference to always comparing Judaism to Christianity and how it was deficient. So he was writing to the Jews as well, kind of like a, as a PS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in the running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader, the leader and the perfecter of faith. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. By, by the way, this is important here. This verse, every Catholic commentary says that this verse, uh, that the cloud of witnesses are the saints in heaven that are with God, present with God, but they surround us even here on planet Earth day to day as they pray to us and as they're cheering us on. I've read Protestant commentaries. They say the same thing. Protestants admit that this cloud of witnesses are the saints in heaven with God in some mysterious way present around us. So Protestant commentaries say the same thing that we do. They just don't, they just don't take it to the logical conclusion where we say, well, we can communicate with them in prayer through Christ because they're part of the mystical body of Christ. Protestants will say, no, 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 you can't. So that's the only thing where they, they miss it, but they admit that those are saints that surround us here and now. Right. I just had that same conversation with a guy in the gym yesterday. And uh, he was saying, uh, I, I, first I asked him, hey, would you believe that there's life after death? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know. So, so if you live a, a righteous life, die in friendship with God, you're going to go to heaven. Yeah, I believe that. Okay, so um, then why why do why is there a problem? You, you And he had just asked me, okay, can you pray for me? I said, yeah, I'll pray for you. You can pray for me. And so that that's what kind of led to that conversation. And uh-huh. so he... I said, what's the difference? You know, you're asking me to pray for you. What's the difference if, if you agree that there are saints in heaven and they're not dead, they're more alive than us because they're not encumbered with this sin and our yeah. bodies. And and so, oh, he, just like you said, just it makes sense, you know. Okay, I get it now, you know. So sometimes it's just a matter of explaining something simple because our faith is pretty simple. I mean, it can go deep, but it, it's logical and uh you know, it's like like when we say you're praying to your praying to the Blessed Mother. You know, the one the one thing I used, I used to tell people is that hey, look, I, I my, my daughter played uh, you know played soccer all her life, and and I taught her, and everyone can hey hey your daughter's such a great player. You know, I want to, you know, um, and I would say I wouldn't say hey why don't you just give me credit where credit's due because I taught her everything. I coached her from the time she was four, and I didn't because when they honored her, they honored me. When we honor the saints, we honor God because they're his yes. creatures, you know, and he, he created they're them. God, so. They're God's masterpiece, Reuben. Yeah, yeah. and the God's masterpiece. The greatest. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, she is the quintessential masterpiece. Go, go ahead with the article. Yeah. So the passage is a beautiful description of the community of saints, something so fundamental to the Christian faith that all Christians express their belief in, in it when recited the Apostles' Creed. And that's just kind of what Jesse was alluding to. A saint is someone who's in heaven. It's simple as that. Well, a saint as a title is reserved to those whose lives the church has thoroughly investigated, typically through those whose intercession, two miracles can be demonstrated to have occurred. Uh, the term applies to anyone in heaven. So that all those people that aren't recognized that uh, are in heaven, those are the saints, and there's many, many more of those. Um, and everyone from your saintly grandmother to the martyrs facing death for Christ, they're all part of the communion of saints. The church commemorates all these on saints day. 
All Saints Day. And the history of the feast reveals a great deal about the church's understanding of the communion of saints. The communion of saints is the church, both the living and the dead. Go ahead, Jess. And uh, uh, Ruben, I just lost. Oh, yeah, there. All Saints Saints Day was not always the solemnity observed by the Universal Church and is not celebrated everywhere on November 1st. The feast originated in the earliest centuries of the church when Christians commemorated the many martyrs who died at the hands of the Roman persecutors. Because there were so many martyrs, they could not each have their own feast day, but they were seen as such important witnesses that the Christians did not want to leave any of them out. As a result, a single commemoration for all the martyrs was observed each spring, which celebrated those who did not have their own unique feast. This is the earliest observance we know about We know about of something similar to All Saints Day. Many of the Eastern Catholic churches still commemorate All Saints Day in the spring. After Christianity was legalized through the Roman, throughout the Roman Empire in 313 AD and the violent bloody persecutions came to an end, and it was common to commemorate the martyrs in various areas around the empire. Uh, we see this, we even see this referred to in the writings of the saints with St. Ephraim, St. John of the Chrysostom, making reference to a commemoration of all saints. This is back in the 4th and 5th century. This practice spread throughout the Mediterranean and beyond with commemorations of all saints showing up in Antioch, Rome, England, Salzburg, and more. Ruben? Yeah, and also in the early early, uh, 7th century, Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Roman pantheon, formerly a shrine to all the gods of, of Roman mythology, as a Christian church of the Blessed Virgin, and all martyrs. And then it was Pope Gregory III who consecrated a chapel at St. Peter's Basilica to all the saints, as well as as with the anniversary date of November 1st. So Rome adopted November 1st as the date of all feasts, the Feast of All Saints in the 8th century. And in the 9th century, Pope Gregory IV extended that observance to the whole Latin church. Now, centuries later, All Saints Day is a holy day of obligation recognized as one of the uh, most important feasts on the liturgical calendar. However, the celebration of Halloween typically overshadows the commemoration of All Saints Day. And most of us realize that Halloween is is in reality the vigil of All Saints, All Hallows Eve or Halloween. But All Saints Day itself has become a bit of an afterthought. And that's that's pretty that's pretty sad, you know. Yeah. And so it should uh, not be this way. The saints are our friends, our intercessors, our brothers and sisters in Christ. They care deeply for us and their lives are recognized by the church as exemplary, as models to follow. And you parents out there should, rather than having these sports figures and movie stars and actors and singers and stuff uh, as you, as their heroes. Well, first of all, your parents should be your heroes, but uh, but then you, you got to have uh, you got to have the saints uh, teach them about the saints and read them stories about the saints. Uh, so how what's what's a good way to celebrate All Saints Day, Jess? Whether you're commemorating individually or in a group or a family, there are many ways to observe this solemnity. The most obvious is go to Mass. It's a holy day of obligation. And yes. there's no more appropriate way to commemorate the saints' lives of those who have gone before us than the Eucharistic sacrifice. It's also good to do other liturgical or prayerful things to mark the day. Mm-hmm. Pray the Divine Office for All Saints Day. Read the lives of the saints. Watch a movie about a saint. Pray the litany of the saints. Think back to your confirmation saint and study that saint's life. Similarly, if any of your children share the name of a saint, learn about that saint together. Read about that saint and pray together, asking for the saint's intercession. 
There are also a number of creative and fun games that can be played to help celebrate All Saints Day. Try putting on a play of the life of a saint. Uh, it says many Halloween costumes can be repurposed to be saints costumes. There are books for all ages, coloring books, and even common books featuring saints. All Saints is a perfect time to pray for all these holy men and women asking for their, their intercession for the conversion of sinners so that we might all become saints. You know, Ruben, the saints to me, they're like God's dream team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, 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 uh, again, this is, uh, they're the citizens of heaven. <clears throat> and also something, something also pretty amazing about the saints is they know what's happening here on earth. Why? It, because, because they're in Christ. In Luke fifteen seven, it says this, our Lord says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So notice what Jesus just said. So who's in heaven? Angels and saints. He says in heaven, those in heaven, angels and saints, they know when somebody repents here on earth and they, they're filled with joy. So this first demonstrates that the saints in heaven, the souls in heaven and the angels they have a concern for us here below and they have a knowledge of what happens to us here on earth because they experience joy at our repentance because God allows them to see what's happening here. Mm. Awesome. But, uh, you know, Jesse, there's um, sometimes people think, well, what's it take to be a saint? Well, for those of you who don't know, there's a few things, just a few requirements. First, I have to be Catholic. Second, uh, the second requirements that have to be dead have to be dead for five years although they did make an exception with mother Teresa. Um, hold that thought and pick it up on the next one pick it up on the next okay. segment yeah okay and we're also talking about some other yeah two-man car we'll be right back stick around we're going to talk about how to become a saint the canonical process of becoming a saint stick around Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. All you Holy Saints of God, all you Holy Saints of God, pray for us. Yes. What up, Anobis? So, uh, just I wanted to go over a couple of requirements for for a saint, and then we'll, we'll talk about four inspiring women who are doctors of the church. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I don't want the women to feel left out because we're, we're always talking about muscular Catholicism. And, and uh, so there's, there's some really uh, strong female saints. And in fact, Jesse, women are, are probably more uh, pious than men. If you look across the, the, the church aisles, more, there's probably more women saints than men saints as well, right, Jesse? Uh, well, I think so, because I, when you look at Butler's Lives of the Saints, uh, the majority of canonized saints uh, are women. Yeah. Now, you, I'll tell you when there was a lot of saints, like top heavy with men in the early church because they were they were actually being killed for their faith. Yeah, martyred, right? Yeah, so there's a lot of male martyrs in the first 313 years, but after that, as you move on throughout salvation history, I mean, there's there's obvious canonized male saints throughout history, but there's more women canonized saints. I, I just all you got to do is flip through through Butler's lives and read about ten pages, and you're going to see. Wow, again, you, Reuben, because they're they're more virtuous than than, than men are, and right. they're more open. They're more they're more open to God than we are. Yeah, that's very that's true. Very very true. Um, so. 
as I mentioned, the first two things, you got to be Catholic, you have to be uh, dead for five years. And um, like I said, but although there have made some exceptions, Pope Benedict waived, uh, our, we got his predecessor, Pope John Paul II, uh, streamlined. Uh, Pope Francis also did that for Mother Teresa. But uh, then they look at the, the heroic virtue of the, of the saint, unless he's a martyr. And the candidate's life must be in some extraordinary, consistent way been lived out with exemplifies exemplifies the four cardinal virtues, prudence, temperance, fortitude, and justice, and the three three the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. Um, and then the bishop, uh, the local bishop for the place where the candidate lived will investigate the person's life. And if, if they pass the muster, they'll be deemed a servant of God. And the process can be fast-tracked in, in a manner of speaking if the candidate was martyred, but which is to say he gave up his life for the faith. The fourth step is miracles and beatification. So the initial step, uh, the matter of candidate for sainthood is sent to the Pope. If he agrees that person did indeed live a life of heroic virtue, they are deemed venerable. And then if uh, can be verified that candidate interceded on behalf of an individual who prayed to them and performed a miracle, then it, it's proof that the candidate is in heaven and that they can hear the supplicants prayers and can act on them. Hey, Jesse, just right, Real quick, um, you know, sometimes some traditionalists will, will uh, also kind of, I mentioned John Paul II, and um, they get a little um, kind of weak. They get heartburn. Yeah, so you you mentioned something that during a deliverance service, um, so, someone you knew that invoked John Paul II. And Ruben, I've seen it. I've seen it several times. Okay, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it several times during deliverance and exorcism. I've seen uh, when the priest invokes, uh, like Saint Padre Pio, horrible reaction. The demon is in a lot of pain. Uh, Saint Joseph, terror of demons, horrible reaction. It causes demon pain. And Saint John Paul II. Uh, I know uh, uh, Father Amorth said that he used to. He writes about, it and he's like, he's like the. Uh, I mean, he's like the, the top of the food chain in our century in, in terms of exorcists. Even Father Ripperger looks up to him. Uh, Father Amorth says that uh, many times for his some of his, his worst cases, uh, he would call St. John Paul II and the demon would just leave. He would drive him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it doesn't mean that, that, uh, that he was perfect. That's why there's a sacrament of confession. I'm sure whatever he may have done or undone, I'm sure he confessed it because uh, right now, He's used very powerfully in the ministry of exorcism to drive out demons around the world. Yeah. Th- thanks for sharing that, Jess. Yeah. Uh, so once a miracle has been verified, that person is considered beatified. And the fifth step to get canonized as you're finally a saint is, uh, is the second miracle. And it can be attributed to the candidate. And, um, and ca- again, it's waived in case of, in the case of martyrs. The one thing that I, I um, that I think is kind of concerning is, is that, is that uh, the process of canonization of saints? It was always a lengthy one, but uh, what they did and what they took away, because it's been changed, they took away, they eliminated the devil's advocate, Jesse, from the review yeah. process. Right. That devil's advocate was a person designated to, to attack the evidence offered in favor of canonization of an individual, uh, which is kind of alarming because what did they do to Bishop Fulton Sheen? He was about to be canonized and uh, they put them on the back burner, you know. Um, <laughs> they they brought they brought that office back for him, just for him. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> exactly. 
So anyway, but nobody, uh, but nobody else, just him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Let's talk about the four uh, inspiring women, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, there's the thir- there's 36 doctors in the Catholic Church in the last 2000 years. By the way, a doctor in the Catholic Church does not mean that you went and got a Ph.D. from a liberal <laughs> modernist Catholic university. That's not a doctor of the church. A doctor of the church is somebody who who had, uh, again, heroic virtue. They're, they're saints, but also they were exemplary teachers in various theological or spiritual topics. Uh, their, their, their understanding of God, faith, uh, prayer, the interior life, it's, uh, it broke the glass ceiling. And that's why uh, they're now doctors of the church, which comes from the Latin word docere, which, mean, which means to teach. So there's 36 doctors in the church. Four of them are women. See, so th- these, are, this, these are the intellectual giants of the Catholic Church. Number one, St. Teresa of Avila. Born on March 28th, 1515, Teresa was known as a spitfire. She was not satisfied with a mediocre life and was inspired by God to help with the reform of the Carmelite order. Teresa worked with St. John of the Cross, another doctor of the church, to reinvigorate the Carmelites and return them to a faithful life of contemplative prayer. That's what the two, two young men that we were talking about, the first two segments, uh, that's, what was, that's what they were sharing, is the contemplative state of the Latin Mass. Uh, that's what attracts them. Uh, but going back to Teresa of Avila, her strenuous work of reform made her the target of persecution from within the church, which proved to be a great cross for her. She was also a great mystic, and her spiritual writings, such as the interior castle, continued to provide spiritual sustenance to many. Mm-hmm. One of the most famous quotes, she's known for a lot of things, but one of the one of the famous quotes she's known for is, let nothing disturb thee. Let nothing dismay thee. All things pass. God never changes. Patience attains all that it strives for. For he who has God finds he lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Close quote. That's beautiful. Yes. I see very deep that that, that uh, interior castle is uh, It's not an easy read. <laughs> no, it isn't. Nope. Anyway, uh, St. Catherine of Siena. She was um, <clears throat> born uh, Caterina Benincasa. She was born in Siena, Italy on March 25th, 1347. As a young girl, Catherine had a vision of Christ seated in glory with Saints Peter and Paul John, and John next to him and it inspired her to make a private vow dedicating her life to God. And when she refused to get married, Catherine's parents recognized the holiness of their daughter and made a private cell like the room of a nun that Catherine could live and pray in. Catherine eventually became a third order Dominican after prayer while being active in the world. She wasn't afraid of conflict and even traveled to Avignon, France, where Pope Gregory the 11th was residing and spent three months trying to convince him to return to Rome. Going against his closest advisors, Gregory eventually did go back to Rome and returned the papacy to the eternal city. So a lot of people did not know that she was not a nun. She was, just, you know, a lay third order Dominican. So something very interesting about her as well, Ruben, uh, she, uh, Father Gabriel Morth writes in his book, that St. Catherine, back in the 14th century, some of the toughest cases in Italy and, and in Europe, some of the outlying countries of demonic possession, when uh, the demons would not basically cede to the, to the uh, prayers of the priests, to the, to, to the exorcist at that time, many of the top known exorcists would take the toughest cases they had to St. Catherine of Siena. 
she wouldn't pray like a priest. She would just pray, pray prayers of petition and supplication like, like a mama bear, you know, like, mm-hmm. Lord, please, you know, heal this person. Lord, I beg you, you know. Yeah. In the, so she wouldn't pray like I or she wouldn't do imprecatory prayers. She would just pray prayers like a mom, you know, it's, it's uh, supplication prayers and petition prayers. And mm-hmm. she would drive out the toughest demons and the hardest cases in Europe. Uh, so that's what she was known for. St. Teresa of Lisieux, born on January 8th, 1873. She was a stubborn little girl who experienced a profound conversion in her life at age 13. At that moment, Therese drew closer to God and felt called to pursue the religious life. At the age of 15, she was convinced that God was calling her to enter a local Carmelite order, but the local superior and bishop would not allow it. Refusing to be dissuaded, Therese was so bold as to ask Pope Leo XIII for permission to enter at her young age while on pilgrimage in Rome. Her actions caught the attention of local leadership who permitted the girl to become a nun at 15. Her life was hidden to the world until her death at age 24, when shortly after her spiritual autobiography, The Story of a Soul, became a bestseller around the world and inspired countless souls with her signature, The Little Way of Holiness. Mm. St. Therese, pray for us. For us, yes. And she's the patron saint of missionaries, so she never left her convent, but she's the patron saint of mission missionaries. Uh, and the last one, I don't know if we have enough time to get in, but St. Hildegard of Bingen. She was born in, 19, in 1098 in Germany and experienced uh, mystical visions from an early age. She eventually joined a local Benedictine convent, became their superior. Her life and writings were influential, highly influential. Pope Benedict XVI explained in a letter that the many reasons why she was named the doctor of the church. So um, the, she, let's go ahead uh, and uh, just close it out, Jess, because there's a, there's a lot of saints that people can to look to. Uh, Alatea has a, a great assortment of uh, good articles on saints. Yeah. By the way, Ruben, if anybody's interested, St. Hildegard of Bingen, she wrote a lot on the Antichrist. So if anybody in, in, wants to see what she said is about the Antichrist, just type her name, St. Hildegard of Bingen, on the Antichrist, and you'll get a good read. Yeah, that's someone I don't know a whole lot about. But uh, So thanks for that. And uh, uh, Jesse, it was a good show. I think the the, the young men added to it because they uh, th- that's the future. You know, us old guys, uh, we're Absolutely. not going to be around that much I'm r- longer. We're rounding third base, Ruben. We're rounding third base, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. At least I- you're, you're probably going to slip and fall running, running third. <laughs> <laughs> you're like that, that the third base coach <laughs> having, trying to pick you up. Come on, Jesse. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay. You can uh, hear the music. Hey, I hear the music. Hey, all, all, all saints and angels of God, pray for us. Remember, go to Holy Mass today. Live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Uh, pray a rosary. I don't care if it's not the month of October. Pray a rosary every day for the rest of your life. And uh, remember, be holy or die trying. God bless you. Keep the faith up next. Gary Machuda, hands on apologetics. Stick around. God bless. <laughs>